The Guardian. Don't you Brits feel like celebrating those 14 days of sporting glory? Of course you do. So why not do it with a strictly unofficial but suitably stylish philosophy football design t-shirt? This unique t-shirt is a wearable, chronological, and color-coded record of an unforgettable fortnight. And for Guardian and Observer podcast fans, we have a special offer of three pounds off and free post and packaging. Curious? Well, to see how good this unique t-shirt looks and to take advantage of our listeners' offer, just go to guardian.co.uk slash podcast offers. I dare you. Hello and welcome to the final day of the Media Guardian Edinburgh International Television Festival. My name's John Plunkett, and as you can tell, the voice is slightly suffering the effects of staying in the George Bart or silly o'clock, but let's move on. On today's Media Talk, Boyd Hilton and Dan Sabber reflect on the week's highs and lows, Victoria Wood talks to Vicky Frost about her latest drama, and Steve Levitan reveals the secrets of modern families' success. That's all to come. Stay with us. Joining me on the sofa today are Dan Sabah, our sofa regular, Boyd Hilton, Mr. TV, otherwise known as the TV editor of Heat magazine, and Richard Pepiat, journalist turned stand-up comic. Chaps, how was, uh, how was last night? Was it a late one? Well, I think we were all quite dignified, but I fear our voices are revealing the truth, isn't it? We are in a, we have a little bit worse for wear. As the Plunko certainly is. Thank God we're not yeah. making a podcast. It's a bit rough. I well, first met Rich last night outside the Georgia about 2.30am. You first met him for the first time? I've never seen him before. Hey, no. I just followed him on Twitter and stuff. You should so. go and see his show. Maybe, I'd love maybe, to see his show. Maybe more of that later. Yeah. Well, today we're going to look back on the festival, cast our eyes forward a bit, and maybe talk a bit about uh, Rich's comedy. But uh, Dan, we're nearly at the end of the, uh, the three-day TV fest. What have you made of it? What have been your highs and lows? Look, I think Liz Murdoch delivered uh, a McTaggart that did better perhaps than advertised. It was controversial, spiky, stuck it to her brother James. She followed that up yesterday morning with a very candid Q&A. In fact, she said, you know, I meant everything I said and more. She has come out of it with probably her personal reputation enhanced. I'm not sure what it will done for reputation in her, her relations in her family or indeed her sort of career or position inside News Corporation. Uh, you know, no one else would be allowed that kind of level of sort of disloyalty, if you like, or, organi- or freedom within an organisation to express a view like that. Otherwise, I think it's been a more lively Edinburgh. The decision to move forward a day has been great success. Uh, and we've seen, I think, some of the sort of channel controllers have come up with commissions and they've come up wanting to sort of talk, you know, BBC Two, the Wolf Hall Commission, I think is very exciting if you've got that kind of cast of mind. But Channel Four is telling us that, you know, Gypsy Weddings format has gone. And, you know, and I think everyone was sort of here comes to talk about something. I think Danny Cohen's got a big new game show for all things for BBC One. I think there was just a bit more of a buzz and I think people were just sort of trying a bit harder to make this festival work. And I think it had been at risk of uh, dying a slow death otherwise. Boyd, you've, uh, you've chaired more sessions than I've been to. Yeah. So you've had a lively festival. It's more about your, well, very <laughs> your Edinburgh, John. Yeah. But what have you seen? What, uh, there's plenty of new TV to talk about. Apart from your remarkable tie, I've seen um, some very entertaining things. I do tend towards more the, you know, kind of masterclass type things with interesting creative. I'm mean, more interested in the creative people rather than the politics of Liz Murdoch. Although I did like the fact that she said, didn't she at one point say, the last thing I wanted to do was sell my company to News Corporation for 150 million. I don't think she said 450 million, but she said the last thing I wanted to do was that. I thought that was a good moment in her speech. I went, the, my favourite thing was the Modern Family Masterclass, which was yesterday morning, um, which yeah, was, was fantastic. With, uh, Richard Steve Levitin, Richard Curtis. And um, that was, that's the kind of thing I really like about it. Everyone complains about it every year, pretending they're not having a really good time. 
that in fact most people do have a really good time, not just because they're drinking till 3am, 4am, but things like that were really good and that was, you've got proper insight into the process of creating a brilliant show, Modern Family, and Richard Curtis was great, kind of really engaging and funny. How about you, how was your festival? It's been three and a half weeks of carnage, to be honest. Uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, but no, I've had an amazing time. I mean, it's the first time I've, even, I've, I've been to the Edinburgh Festival, let alone coming up here with a show as well. So it has been a baptism of fire, but uh, I think there's going to be a gaping hole in my life when I get back to London and I'm not performing every day and sort of do, doing my show, I suppose. Um, but no, it's, it's been great, it's been great. And this is your show, of course, about your time at the, uh, the Daily Star. Yeah, it, it, it touches upon my time at the Daily Star, but the show is called One Rogue Reporter more broadly. It's about uh, sort of testing the tabloid editors' proclamations about privacy and public interest against them themselves. They, they become the crash test dummies. And it's sort of, it, it is a controversial show. It does, it does sort of purposely cross the line to try and get the audience to think what's acceptable, what, what is an acceptable level of privacy intrusion and things like that. The occasional um, sex toy or two? The occasional, what, it wouldn't be complete. No show is complete without the occasional sex toy or two. Not toy. in the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. You know, you need a sex toy. It's mandatory these days to get an audience. So, you know, so a lot of competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, what better way to look back on the festival than with a Media Monkey quiz? I know you chaps are... Uh, Particularly excited about this. Well, uh, I think we're a bit unhappy we've been either sprung upon this now. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't briefed properly. It's just like on TV, all those TV quiz shows. No one, no one sees the questions in advance. Uh, so. Yeah, so gonna... They know they're taking part in a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> all right, chaps. So, fingers on the buzzers and the, the prize is this tie. Oh, uh, question sorry. number one. The, the booby prize is two ties. Says <laughs> uh, the man in the yellow specs. Who was, oh. who was said to have gone from the best job in comedy to the biggest? Shane Allen. Yeah. This was Shane Allen, of course. Uh, this, is my, this is my Angus Dayton bit where I explain the, uh, the gag. Yeah. Uh, yes, who was going from uh, Channel 4 to the BBC. So, Hilton, one point. Uh, question number two. Who's been told to swivel even more than they were before? Oh, The Voice. The, fantastic, yeah. Yes, yes. This is, of course, BBC One Saturday Night Show, The Voice, in which uh, they've said Series 2 will have more swivelling chairs. Uh, fantastic. Question number three. Hilton's taken an early lead. Feel slightly for Richard here, who's not particularly yeah. been at the TV <laughs> festival. <but laughs> I know. We'll give you a, no we'll give him a point for his show. show. Is there yeah. any questions about I can answer uh, them? Well, what is it. the name of Richard Pepiat's show? <laughs> question number three. Who thinks £100 is an average amount of money to pay for a shirt? That's Peter Fincham. Oh, and the celebrity juicer said he paid an average amount for his shirt and then revealed he cost 100 quid. This is a very difficult quiz. All right, right, come on, Dan, just because you haven't got any. Yeah, well, that might be true. Right. Question true. number four, what's Dan Sabber's middle name? <laughs> all right, I made that one up. Question number four, which three words have got Sherlock fans all aflutter? Oh, wait. Oh, I should know this because I hope that's Come on. Something like rat. No? Row. Row. Oh. Wedding. No, I'll give it to Dan. At least got one of them. Rat, wedding, Red, and uh, bow. Bow. Or bow. 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 I have no and idea what you are talking about. Well, they're doing the same thing on the, the Annuals Essex. Apparently, the three words are vert, jat, and zul. That's a joke, that right? Joke. No, yeah. All right. Come on. Come on. Yeah. You're a comedian. Come on. You're a comedian. You appreciate this sort of thing, right? You're question. Not, apparently. Question number five. <laughs> Who's having their gypsy tart and eating it? Well, Channel 4. Is that Channel 4, because yeah. they're, they're, they're saying they're getting rid of it, but they are doing more. Six one-off specials. A.K.A. a six-part series. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well done, Channel 4. Who lost their voice? Oh, um... No, all right. I did make these a bit difficult, possibly. Yeah, Zy Bennett. Zy Bennett. Yes. Who, yes. You're telling me after I told you the well, answer. I, yeah, thanks, Tim. No, I'm repeating it back. You know, <laughs> so, not, not with any insight or understanding. You love my just, name when she watches. Just for masterminds. You always waits the answer and then says the last yeah. syllable of their name. Are the yeah. listeners going to know this? Or they, well, they are now because we told them the answers. Oh, okay. All right, so, so they're not taking part. <laughs> <laughs> 
Come on, come on. Who warned, beware the royals? Oh, um, Lorraine Hegarty. That's no? right. Yes, yes. yes. she said. Uh, she because said to George Entmuscle, you know, if you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna make a screw, or you know, yeah. it's gonna be a royal issue, whether it's the colour of your tie, yeah. Yeah. topical, or yeah. um, you know, the royal pageant, etc., yeah. etc. Oh, point taking part because Boyd's got yeah, an unassailable lead yeah, now, an so. unassailable lead. Okay. I just feel like giving up. You know well, what I mean? the, the, the last question will be a hundred points bonus question. Oh, just oh, to make it exciting. All right, okay. Who's turned his TV on its side so he could watch it while he was lying down? Well, I'm glad we ended on a high note. Let me guess, let me guess. Stuart Murphy? No. Oh. Have a guess. Former Guardian TV columnist turned uh, scriptwriter. Oh, I know. Yeah. Charlie Brooker. Charlie Brooker. Oh. <laughs> Boyd, you got about six, I think. Yeah. But Richard, strictly speaking, did get the last question. 100. So 100 points. Oh, yeah. Right, so Mr. Dan Saber, Mr. Boyd Hilton, and uh, award-winning uh, quiz <laughs> triumph man, Mr. Richard Pepiat. Thanks very much. Thank you. Now, it is an international TV festival, so it's time to turn our attention to the US, where Modern Family is the sitcom sensation of the moment. And unlike other comedy shows, those impressive viewing figures were there from the start. I caught up with its co-creator, Steve Levitan, to find out why. Yeah, we really, really got lucky. The pilot seemed to connect with people, and the, the press has always been really uh, uh, nice to us, so there was good buzz and good word of mouth, and ABC did a wonderful job uh, promoting the show early. So, yeah, we got a nice size audience right off the, the bat. And, um, you know, it's just been one of those blessed projects from the beginning. And it's called Modern Family because it features three modern families, and, and one of them, as we know, is a, a pair of gay dads. Uh, how much are you pushing a, a liberal agenda, or is it, are you pursuing just a, a funny agenda? How important is that to you? Well, first and foremost, you know, comedy is our number one agenda. We want to make people laugh because the minute you get preachy, you start losing people. That said, if we make people in any way, shape, or form more accepting of those who are different from them, then that's just a wonderful bonus. Did it make it a more difficult pitch or have times you know, moved on in that sense? Honestly, it didn't. And we thought in some way that we would be marginalizing our audience a bit by including a pair of gay dads. Uh, that in some way it would turn off a section of America uh, who will say, I'll never watch that show because of that. But I think it's, you know, in large part because of the, the skill and the uh, abilities of our actors who play those two characters and the, and the writers who do such a wonderful job. They've endeared themselves to Americans. Uh, people accept them, and, and, and I really do feel like it's opened up a lot of people's minds. We've, we've heard over and over again from a lot of particularly gay teens who say I never would have felt comfortable coming out to my parents before but they watched Modern Family, they loved Modern Family and it opened the door. If you talk to UK broadcasters about what they're looking for invariably you'll hear the phrase well what we want is our own modern family. What what kind of advice have you got for them? Is it stop looking for a new modern family and do your own thing? Or, or what, what have you got to offer commissioners and, and maybe writers, comedy writers who are looking to you know, create their own sitcom? I think that you can never try to duplicate something. And, I, and they probably don't mean that literally. They probably mean they just want something that's you know, widely, you know, that's both perhaps critically acclaimed and has a, a large audience. That comes from writing something that's very real and has tremendous... Uh, you know, that comes from an honest place that is not in any way trying to, you know, oh, I'm going to get the biggest audience by doing this or that. It's by telling a story that just really resonates with people and doing it in, in a way that doesn't talk down to anyone. How do we cast a wide net? 
such a wide net? I don't know. But um, at the end of the day, we just say, how do we make this as funny as it can be? And how do we make this as honest as, as it can be? And how is the US TV landscape? It feels like we're coming to the tail end of the reality TV era. Is it boom time for scripted comedy and drama? It's a, I think it's a golden age of, uh, for drama. It's pretty amazing how many unbelievable dramas there are on television right now. Uh, I can't, you can't even keep up with them. There's so many They're, that are just excellent. Personally, I don't think there are as many good comedies right now as there are good dramas. And I'm not exactly sure why. But uh, there are some wonderful ones, but uh, not as many. It's a real boom time for, for, for dramas. Okay, Steve Levitan, thanks very much. Right, I'm back with the panel, and we've had a rub down after our Media Monkey quiz to turn our attention to the other media news. We're first up, Dan, this is uh, rather festival-related, I should say. They've announced the uh, Channel of the Year last night was uh, BBC Two. Yeah, I think I'm going to just break any confidentiality that may or may not exist, but certainly that was the way the Media Guardian voted for. Uh, uh, I think we felt slightly negatively that BBC Two stood out in a year where we couldn't quite sort of think of voting for anyone else. And I think, you know, the voice sort of, I think, shone a shadow over BBC One. I, Channel Four, I think, is still in transition and has not sort of quite produced any much standout programming. Uh, ITV, uh, similarly, it's all about the old war horses, I think, sort of rolling on and still, you know, delivering or occasionally otherwise. Um, and I don't think you could go for. Channel 5. I mean, I, you know, if you're asking me, I think said yesterday I might have gone for Sky Atlantic. I'd rather watch everything on Sky Atlantic, it seems. But I think BBC Two was a good choice. Uh, and I think, you know, Janice has very much found her feet. And I think the sort of the Wolf Hall Commission is at the sort of serious end of the market is the kind of commission that everyone will be sort of talking about and looking forward to. So, yeah, boy, it, it was a good night for BBC, but they tend to always sort of clean up at these awards at the festival. Yeah. But they got BBC Two, BBC Four won the best uh, mm. digital channel, slightly old-fashioned uh, yeah. moniker, and then Sherlock won the best, uh, best yeah. programme. Well, Sherlock won two, didn't it? It won the Young People's Vote for, for Best Programme as well, which, was, which is the best programme on TV. So that was good. But BBC, BBC Two, absolutely fine. BBC Four was a bit mystified about. I mean, you know, they've got the, the, those good um, Danish, Scandinavian imports that they show on Saturday night. But I don't know what else kind of... They've contributed in recent. And also, it seems to be a channel that decided to kind of create less of its own output. And to give an award at that moment seemed slightly odd. I would have given it to Sky One or Sky Atlantic. Because both, you know, you have to recognise that Sky under um, Stuart Murphy have suddenly put a huge amount of money into British um, homegrown stuff. And a lot of it's really good. So I would have given it probably to Sky One. I thought it was a bit weird, BBC Four. Yeah. Richard, where, where would your vote have gone? Oh, Sky Atlantic, I think. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think it's been a, a great addition to the. TV market, should we call it that? Mm. But obviously, uh, with the return of Dallas on Channel 5, surely a shoo-in for next year. <laughs> you're so, very, you're I, don't, I don't know what anyone else is bothering, really. You're a big shut fan them. of anything to Richard Desmond, though. So that's you know, we, all, we do know that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's always got my vote. Yeah. Dan, well, uh, away from TV, uh, it's the third instalment of the Prince Harry saga, I guess. When we met on, uh, on the first day of the festival, uh, the newspapers hadn't printed the picture. Mm. The second day, the, the sun broke ranks and we had a, a, a naked prince. Uh, what's, the, what's our third day update? Lots of complaints to the, the Press Complaints Commission. I think 850 people. Yeah, quite a lot by the standards of newspapers, but I think not a lot actually in the real world. I mean, if people were really angry, we would have seen 20 or 30,000 complaints or, you know, the kind of numbers we're used to seeing in television when an issue gets really hot. Saxgate style. Yeah, look, I think The Sun 
uh, I think the Sun did the right thing. I think it was very arguable as to whether these sort of pictures were sort of private and should be sort of restricted and British eyes should be prevented from seeing them in print. You know, I doubt they added any extra sales by so doing because I think people have already seen the pictures online. But it was a sort of strong statement, I think, and in an era where a lot of people wanted to say the press has been cowed by Leveson, no one's going to dare to do this. What actually happened was, was the Sun, I think, sort of made it, oh, a statement of virility, if you like, a statement of brand value and said, yeah, we'll go for it. Richard, were you surprised once the Sun had done it that other papers didn't jump in and follow suit? Like your old yeah, wife, no, I, I, no I, I am surprised they haven't, but it, it does feel like, an, I mean, I think it just feels like a very old story now, and I think that's one thing that comes across, is it did kind of show just how far print is behind the curve, and that you're sort of saying, the pictures you've already seen online two days ago, here they are. But no, but for me, I, I don't agree they should have printed them. I think that, you know, what this is really boils down to is, is the right of a, of a corporation to print naked pictures of a bloke against his will. And I think that if you put he's it... Not it old bl- he's not any old bloke, though, is he? He's a royal prince, third in line no, for the fine, but he's, but he's oh. having a bit of fun in private. I, don't, I do not see that really there's any more public interest other than the fact that they'll make some money out of it. And if they, you know what, if, they, if, if, they, if it's really not about the money, <clears throat> then they should donate all the pr- extra profits that they may have made <laughs> to that poor intern who had to pose naked on the front of the sun the day before. Um, no, I mean, that could have been you a few years ago. It could have been me. And I, 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 did sort of, I did get a little sort of pang mm, in my heart. Yeah. You know, yeah. of, uh, had you naked on the front like, of the Daily Star? Well, that would have put on sales. Yeah. I actually think it's a slight myth that everyone's seen. I bet my mum hasn't seen them online, for example. There's a slight feeling in, you know, in the media bubble, if I can use that hideous phrase, that, oh, we've all seen everything. You know. There is a difference between, in the real world. I don't think everyone has seen them at all. Um, everyone on Twitter has and everyone on all that. But you know, a lot of people probably haven't. And I think they probably will put on sales for a start. And I also think, I think there was some kind of like, agreement, a kind of unofficial agreement among all the papers that they wouldn't publish them. And The Sun seems to have gone against that and taken everyone else back by the fact that they are now, now they have printed it, which seems like an interesting way of going about things. I think they should have all got together and agreed they should print them because they had already yeah. been on the internet. That would have made more sense. Now it's this kind of weird situation where it's almost like a Sun exclusive actually printing them and everyone else has been left behind. We can all, we can all see them on there if we, if we want to. So it's kind of, I think there is a kind of common sense thing here. Though. I agree with you in principle, in theory. And actually, if it hadn't been him, that, that particular royal, him, a member of the royal family, who'd been kind of mid-level celebrity, it would have felt wrong, I think. But it is here, Prince Harry. It would have been perverse not to have printed them. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think it's a kind of, there's almost a common sense thing about it, that even though there have been those complaints to the press committee, which would look pretty bizarre to kind of censure the sun, wouldn't they? It would look odd. So... It's a kind of unique situation. I think. The Press Gazette did a, uh, a poll yesterday, and I think it said sixty-three percent of the public disagree with the Sun uh, print, which I thought was odd because I, I would have thought it would have been the other way. Yeah. And the Sun, the, the Sun of today, sort of come out saying the public back us and have selected three readers to say how much the public do back us. Uh, and they've got Louise Mensch, who's weighed in for some bizarre reason. Um, she always weighs in. I don't think Harry's reputation has been sort of no. seriously disturbed no, no, by this. I think yeah, he had the. Play frankly had a playboy image before and I think a lot of people have taken the view as a young guy having fun and I think that's for, for, for most people the argument for not publishing is more along those lines he hasn't really done anything that bad Dan what are the long term implications for sort of the debate about press regulation do you think it will be uh, of a similar scale when uh, you know Princess Diana was snapped in the, in, in, in the gym all those years ago or is this a different is this of a different scale no it feels like the heat's gone out of the story I think over the, la- over the last 24 or so hours but look clearly the palace uh, Clarence House is on the warpath pre-publication, the complaints to the PCC, the PCC is going to have to adjudicate and Clarence House is very clear about what it thinks 
uh, uh, should have happened, i.e. that the Sun should have published. So I think we've got a sort of an interesting a battle ahead where the PCC itself, you know, desperate to show that it's a tough regulator, it can, you know, act, act credibly, has got to sort of negotiate between a, a tabloid and the palace. And I'm not quite sure I can sort of predict which way the PCC will jump, other than to say, you know, they'll be desperate to look good. Good final fling for the PCC. Go out in style. Well, I guess so. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Think about it. They're probably confused and bewildered. I just don't know what to do. Well, what you is Leveson thinking of it? Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the one man who, yeah. who I'd love to pick his yeah. brain about what he's thinking of the whole thing. The, the, um, the, the word is he's, uh, you know, he, he's trying not to think. Uh, in other words, he's not going to get you know, particularly drawn or involved I'm in this sure. one. But it, I wouldn't be surprised if it sort of comes a line in the report. But he can't ignore it. It's such an interesting example of, what it's, of how difficult it is, I think, like, to kind of come up with a solution to how you regulate the press and avoid the internet issue. It's like it, can't, it does kind of sum up the whole problem with it, doesn't it? That you can do what you, what you want on the internet. And had he already seen them on TMZ anyway? We, 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 we may never know, yes. Um, uh, Dan Sabber, Boyd Hilton, Richard Pepiat, thanks very much. Now, aside from meeting controllers and analysing the McTaggart gossip, would you believe that at this TV festival there's been some new programmes to preview? On our website you can see Simon Bird and Robert Popper discussing the new series of Friday Night Dinner and an extended interview with Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat on Sherlock's Return from the Dead. But here on Media Talk we're going to play you an interview with Victoria Wood discussing her new one-off drama Loving Miss Hatto. Vicky Frost met with her earlier. The true story, it's the story of Joyce Hatto who was a concert pianist who died in about 2007 with marvellous obituaries when she died in all the big newspapers saying that she was one of our best pianists ever and one of our most versatile pianists. About six or seven months after she died, it was realised that at least 80 of her CDs were fakes, that they were, they were taken from other pianists. And this story was picked up by a, a journalist called Mark Singer in The New Yorker. And he wrote a very, very long, in-depth article following the whole story, including an interview with the husband, Barrington Coop, who's still alive. Um, and that story, or that article, was bought by Left Bank Pictures, who, who made Loving Miss Hatto, and they asked me to write it. And how did you feel when you knew you were approaching something, I suppose, that had real people in it? Did that make a difference? It does make a difference. I mean, I've done real people before. I did Nella last in Housewife 49. She was a real person, but she was dead. And then we did Eric and Ernie, where I played um, Eric's mother. Again, all the main people are not alive. This was slightly different because it's about a fraud. So I, I did feel peculiar about it because I had to take a line on something that was, you know, that's been proved to be illegal. I and mean, he has confessed, to, you know, part of the fraud at least. So it was, it was a more delicate situation than the other things I'd written, yeah. And did you talk to Barry at all? I decided not to talk to Barry. The people very close to me have talked to him. I have a, I have a PA who works for me. She went and had lunch with him a few times, the researcher on the project. She, she'd met him numerous occasions. So I decided to keep a distance because I had to have a Barry in my head. And I think if I, once you meet the real person, they be, it morphs into something else and you're then almost writing a drama documentary which I didn't want to do. So mm. I, wanted a, I wanted a clean sheet to invent my characters. But I did, it, I did a huge amount of research and I knew, you know, I'd seen him on television because there was a documentary about him and I'd seen pictures of him and I knew a lot about Joyce and met people that she knew. So I was, I was working, you know, partly from fact. And of course, so I suppose it's about creating Barry, who was played brilliantly by first Roy Kinnear and then Alfred Molina. I mean, what yeah. casting, what casting. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. 
how do you feel about the fact that he's going to see it, I suppose? I feel for him, really. I mean, I think because of the sort of person he is, he perhaps is in, in possibly looking forward to it because it is, it is a love story. It is a sympathetic portrait. It does bring the name of Joyce back into public recognition. He, I don't really know what he feels and I think I can't, I can't worry about it too much because I've done it now and he'll just have to take it on the chin. And if I was him, I think there's worse things than having your life shown in that way and being played by Rory Kinnear and Alfred Molina. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, he's not, he comes out of it well. He comes out of it as a loving, supportive, sympathetic husband. He does, absolutely. And that love story, and not, not conventional love story in lots of ways, is really central to the whole plot and it, a relationship it's yeah. very beautiful and to show sort of all sides of relationship as well were you sort of quite careful I suppose to kind of show everything so we've got a proper yes it's a well it's a, it's, a, it's about a long relationship a long marriage where people people may begin with one impression of the other person and of course you know reality bites as the years go by and you may be disillusioned in the person that you've married and that you know that we, we all know about that one and then but, but that, that they hold true to each other in, in their own way and they're in love in their own way and I think it, it, it's, it's hard, it's hard to stay married for such a long time and it's, it's hard to be disappointed. He says in the film, it's hard living with a disappointed person, it drains the life out of you and she's disappointed because she wants to be a concert pianist and it doesn't work out as it so often doesn't. I was so moved by that line. Look, I moved again. Now you've just said it. I was so moved by that line. And, and lots of other small lines. And I thought it, the script was beautifully written. Did it take you a long time? Forever. Did well, it? not so much to write it, but the, I mean, I, I've had this project since 2009. Um, and I said, well, it'll take me a few months to do the research and then I'll write it. I was, there was, there was so much interest in the research. And the more I found out, the more it coloured my view of what I wanted to write and the story shifted it shifted like I was saying at the Q&A today it shifted from I thought it's a sort of clash of of old people versus the internet and technology and the way that people link on the internet but they don't really link because they're not they're not physically face to face and so you can present a persona to the world and also the fact that digital equipment meant he could if he did he could copy the discs um, so at the beginning that, I thought that was what the story was and that was what the interest was and then in the end it wasn't it was about two people and this sort of 90 minute is I mean it's a drama it's a 90 minute mm. drama and that was do you, do you feel very comfortable with that format I never really thought about it until people have been asking about it today. That's that's the length, you know. That's that's how broadcasting works. So you're given a, yeah. you get a slot, you know. <laughs> you can't say, well, actually, I'd like it to be 95. That doesn't really doesn't happen. I mean, it's worse on ITV because you're working in segments and it's got to be 12 minutes, then 10 minutes, then 11, and then between 10 and 12 for the fifth segment and all this sort of thing. It's really complicated and nothing to do with writing. It's all more to do with maths. But I, I don't question, I mean, I think 90 minutes seemed the right length for it. it didn't, an hour wouldn't have been right, oh, or, or to go over two hours in two separate nights. I didn't think it, that would work either. It just seemed to be the natural length. So that's it for another year in Edinburgh. I'm off to grab an Alka-Seltzer and watch the box set of Seinfeld. Well, it's a long journey back to King's Cross. My thanks to all our many guests over the past three days, including on today's show, Boyd Hilton, Dan Sabber, Richard Pepiat, Victoria Wood, Vicky Frost and Steve Levitan. You can catch up on all the shows at guardian.co.uk slash media. My name is John Plunkett and the producer was Matt Hill. See you next week. Thanks for listening.
For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Don't you Brits feel like celebrating those 14 days of sporting glory? Of course you do. So why not do it with a strictly unofficial but suitably stylish philosophy football design t-shirt? This unique t-shirt is a wearable, chronological, and color-coded record of an unforgettable fortnight. And for Guardian and Observer podcast fans, we have a special offer of three pounds off and free post and packaging. Curious? Well, to see how good this unique t-shirt looks and to take advantage of our listeners' offer, just go to guardian.co.uk slash podcast offers. I dare you.